0: So, Greg, can you tell me a little bit about the best mentor you've ever had?
1: Mm. Well, I've had several, and I'm always looking for more. I'll put them in a couple of categories. You've got your arm's length mentors, which are the people that you read and the authors and the, the people you follow, but they don't know who you are. You just know them very well. And then you've got people that have actually worked with you. And two of my favorite mentors, I was reported directly to them. And one individual introduced me to this concept of coaching. And he chose to develop me in a way that no one, no ever supervisor or person overseeing my role had ever done before. And it absolutely transformed my life. And so that would be a Mr.
0: Frank Denno. Mr. Frank Denno? Yes. Shout out to Mr. Frank Denno. I love it. So that's what I hope to maybe unpack a little bit more today and talk a little bit more about mentoring, about feedback and developing leaders and what you can do to to really build people up. So, stick around everyone. Ooh, we'll get into it in a second. It's time for a sneak peek. Sneak peek, sneak peek.
1: One of the things we like to emphasize a lot is alignment. So an organization has to be in its leadership has to be very clear about where they're going and what they need from their team. And so if, if you're not clear on what's needed from you in the context of the overall business strategy, it's going to be difficult to be successful. And then secondly, if the business is changing, shifting their strategy, changing their goals, but not effectively communicating that. That's going to be frustrating. So when we work with organizations, we want to make sure that there's a very clear strategy for the company, a clear strategy for the business unit that supports the company strategy, and then clear roles that you can understand and that you can see all align. And then as an individual, you can say, I get it, I see it, and now I can accomplish it. Or you can say, hey, I'm strong in this particular thing you need for me, but I'm weak here and I need support. And that kind of communication is really what allows an organization or a team to be successful.
0: And now on with the show.
1: When you're feeling the pressure, take a moment to step back, pick up your marbles and choose to lead with levity. Join us on the Lead with Levity podcast for fireside chats that will fill your bucket and help you get back to being the leader you were meant to be. Now here's your host, Dr. Heather Walker.
0: Greg is the CEO and founder of 5C Consulting, and he is a specialist in mentoring, leadership development, delivering difficult feedback, all that jazz. So Greg, I want to welcome you warmly to the show.
1: Well, Heather, uh, thank you so much for having me. It's a real privilege and honor to be here with you today.
0: So we were we we're just talking about mentorship earlier today and what do you think really can make or break a good mentoring relationship?
1: So when you say mentoring that for me that's a a loaded question because what the average person defines as a mentor and what I might define as a mentor are very very different. And so what I'd like to do okay. is kind of shape and define that word for our conversation today. Cool. So there are coaches, There are mentors uh, there are counselors there's therapists and the way i like to put it is like a coach is the person that may have never been where you're going but has some really cool tools and some frameworks and some like skill to help you get there in a much faster way than you would on your own a therapist is going to focus on anything like if you're injured in any way to make sure that we can get you healed and get you to your destination a mentor is the person that's already climbed the mountain that you want to climb has got the t-shirt and is willing to say, Hey, I can guide you based on my past experience. And so in that context, I think if we're looking for mentors, we want to find people that have achieved even in a general sense, something similar to what we're going after. So if you want to become an executive or if you want to become a marketing director, or if you want to pursue, a role, a large role in a large company, then you're going to want to look for people that have done that job in the, in a similar context. That's the other thing is it should be in a similar context, because if, Mm. if you want to become a sales trainer and say you're working in a space that is like high volume, but small, like light relationship but you're just trying to put out a lot of volume and it's maybe a fast sales cycle, but you're going to go mentor with somebody that is like, Hey, no, no, I I do everything very slowly. I have a handful of relationships and they buy big items from me. You're not going to the what they're going to be able to show you doesn't match up with what you need. So I think when we're asking ourselves, what's a good mentor look like? We want to find somebody that has kind of been down the road that we're about to go on. And I think that would be how I distinguish it, given the definition of mentorship I just mentioned.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. Sometimes when I talk to people, you know, sometimes young people, people who are in career transitions and things like that, they don't even know the road that they're about to go on. Like, like I might know, <laughs> oh, it's it's about to be a rocky road for you. But but they might not have any idea and they're still trying to figure things out and, And I really applaud people who take the time to reach out to to different professionals to do those informational interviews so they can at least say, "Okay, now I kind of have an understanding of what that road might look like so that I can pick a good mentor for me.
1: Yes, yes. And and another asset I'll distinguish a little bit here. So the distinction between a mentor and a coach, because I think coaches, I, I do a lot of coaching. I think coaches can be a tremendous asset. The difference is, is the coach doesn't know the territory. The coach doesn't know the people and the players in the game. A mentor likely will. Like They're going to know this is the CEO of this company. This is the marketing director of that company. There's history. Like I, The mentor has kind of lived in this space and knows the players at a level that somebody from the outside is not going to know. And so that's an asset that in many ways a mentor, specifically in a niche, can provide value on if they know how to mentor, if they really know how to help somebody get from where they are to where they want to go. Or a coach may be really is going to be really effective at helping you move forward in your goals, but they're on the outside looking in. And so there's a distinction I would give you there. They both offer a tremendous amount of value, but they bring different things to the table.
0: So which side of the fence do you typically fall on?
1: So that's a great question. And let me see if I can break this down. What I found, so real quick on my journey, like I really pursued coaching and I was coached, I was developed in a coaching format and I just gravitated to it. Mm -hmm. And then when I, I came up on a career pivot, I embraced it and I went into coaching and it became part of my profession. And now I've pivoted into coaching consulting. And so what I do now with most of my clients is I kind of act like as the coach consultant and the mentor all at the same time. And so instead of trying to be 100% coaching mindset, I've taken the skill of coaching and I've integrated into how I serve my clients. And so in spaces where I can say, look, I've been in this situation with you. I can mentor you a little bit. I can offer that in spaces where like, look, we solve this problem for other people. We can provide that and put that on the table and let them take what they want from it. And when they really just need that coach to come up with the solution themselves, I can shift right into that mindset. So my answer is is I have blended these together in my work.
0: Mm, that makes sense so what kind of mindset do you need to take on to be able to help someone else grow? I'm just I doubling down on it.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I love that question because really for me as a third party, like and if I'm working with a client individually, like my stake in the my stake in the game is that client and when I work with a corporations and they say, "Hey, we want to set we want your company to engage us and to provide coaching as a benefit to our employees," we're very upfront to say, okay, we're going to serve them as they are our clients, and you're going to pay the fee." And then when we get one to one with the employees who become our clients, it's all about what their goals are. It's all about getting super clear and you know we maintain confidentiality but we get super clear on what it is that they want to achieve. And in some cases we've been in conversations where they begin to think, should I stay with this company? Okay. Okay. And, or should I, should I move on? And we don't direct them, but we guide them through that conversation because really at the end of the day, the the company's our client, but if you have employees that are not able to be their 100% best in your company, Wouldn't you want them to go where they could be and then bring somebody in that can bring their 100% best in that role? And I'm a firm believer that, yes, absolutely, no matter what size your organization is, you're going to want people bringing 100% feel complete alignment and want to come in every day absolutely jazzed about the work they are doing. And if there's somebody that may be a strong player but isn't 100% jazzed, you know, at some point that's going to impact your organization and your bottom line. So let's transition, let's serve them, let's help them figure out exactly where they need to go. And then they, they will sing praises about your company after they moved on, and then we'll be able to bring somebody in that actually fills the road that you need.
0: Hmm, interesting. So let's say that you're working with someone who is a high performer, who maybe started off really jazzed as you say, about, about the job and what they needed to do. But along the way somewhere, they started to run into some roadblocks that made it hard for them to still achieve the same kinds of objectives and hit the same targets that they were hitting. A lot of those roadblocks were more interpersonal roadblocks. How would you help them?
1: So let me see if I captured what your question is. So someone has been successful in their role and there's some interpersonal issues that are preventing them from hitting their current targets. Does that sound like a good scenario?
0: Yeah. Let's say they're having an issue with their supervisor. Let me narrow it down a little bit.
1: Well, let me give you a specific case study. We we haven't published this yet, but I've got the draft here. <laughs> okay. Oops. And so everything is, you know, the, you're not going to know who this is. We've actually changed the names and, you know, dates and everything like that, if you will. So Riley, say she's, I think, a 20s, maybe early 30s a designer brand strategist inside. So she's, and she's fairly new inside an organization that's been around for 40 plus years. And her job is to change the brand. And she's a phenomenal, she's well-recognized for her work. So she shifts the brand and now she's got to become the brand manager. And so she has to lead. She's an individual contributor, staff level, and she's got to influence two and three levels up. And so everyone loves her, respects her. What, what end up happening is she struggles. She's struggling with process and begins to have some visceral responses when issues are brought up that are personal to her. And so then mm-hmm. after a few of these scenarios, she winds up, you know, coaching with me. And then we spent nine months coaching together and a complete 180 and turnaround. And so where we focused was, I mean, we identified three measurable things, communication, emotional intelligence, and uh, negotiation and influencing others. But the real work was creating awareness around her personal values and getting deep into what her personal values were and how they influenced her. And then helping her to create a little framework so that she could say, okay, my personal values are mine and I can have them, but I don't have to bring them to every moment of work. And so if one of my personal values is, is on the discussion table at work, it's not like it's a personal attack to me. And so we created that insight, gave her some tools. And the response is phenomenal. We had a rating report, we did an ROI report, and one of three outcomes we measured financially because the other two just we didn't have the data, but just on the one third of the actual financial ROI was a four hundred and seventy-seven percent ROI on the coaching investment. And so wow. pretty exciting, you know, kind of news for this one particular client. But let me come back to your question, using this as a case study here as a fine point. You know, how do you help someone? And it's a relative question it's a relative question, but when it comes to interpersonal things, we tend to really kind of start with the values and from the values. And if the, if values are not aligning or if they're unclear or if they're in competition, which is usually the case, you know, you've got value a and then you've got value B and they tend to pull on each other. So you have a value for freedom, right? And independence which many people have. We want to go and do the things we want to do. We want to you know, be able to just go take a vacation or spend time with our kids. We want this freedom. We want to do the things we want to do. Yet the tension of we've got to go to work and pay the bills. And so there's a common thing that we can all kind of connect and relate to is there's this tension. So how do you manage that? And these things happened all the time, you know, as business owners, as leaders, as parents, we want something for say say as a parent we want to give our kids a good a good childhood experience and so we end up doing things for them we love to give desserts mm-hmm. to our kids okay and then my wife and i look at it look <laughs> at ourselves sometimes like are we spoiling them like are we going too far with this good thing mm-hmm. and so these values these competing values end up becoming a big issue and so what we want to do is we want to understand where they came from how were they generated and then where do they get prioritized so when do i prioritize giving my child a dessert versus prioritize making sure they're eating healthy and being balanced and because it's not like one value is right and the other one is wrong in every scenario but we help our clients determine which value should take the lead in every situation And that gives them tremendous amount of ability to stay aligned with who they are and consistent and authentic in their selves and yet still adapt to the situation as needed from values. Mm. We would pivot to objectives. So, what changed inside the organization? Like, what's now different? Has something shifted for you in what you're doing or where the organization is going that is not meeting up with what you originally aligned with? I'm going to kind of pivot into another aspect of this. One of the things we like to emphasize a lot is alignment. So, an organization has to be, and its leadership has to be very clear about where they're going and what they need from their team. And so, if if you're not clear on what's needed from you in the context of the overall business strategy, it's going to be difficult to be successful. And then secondly, if the business is changing, shifting their strategy, changing their, you know, their goals, but not effectively communicating that, that's going to be frustrating. So when we work with organizations, we want to make sure that there's a very clear strategy for the company, a clear strategy for the business unit, that supports the company strategy and then clear roles that you can understand and that you can see all align. And then as an individual, you can say, I get it, I see it, and now I can accomplish it. Or you can say, hey, I'm strong in this particular thing you need from me, but I'm weak here and I need support. And that kind of communication is really what allows an organization and a team to be successful.
0: So let me give you another sort of example A situation that I've heard a couple of times now from humor professionals, or professionals who use humor in their work. One of the challenges that they have to overcome is a perception that humor, being funny at work, engaging in playfulness and things like that, it's not professional. How can we help someone in that scenario who intentionally using it it's not like they're being the fool in the scenario for no reason but at the same time culturally it's they're getting pushed back
1: yes and so again very very contextual and so part of this is this look we spend our best time at work okay that's what we do we spend our best time at work. We get a good night's sleep. We wake up. We get refreshed. And our most productive time is put on the job. And then we exhaust ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally. And then we get time with our family. And then on the weekends, you know, depending on how your work schedule, you, know, you get a couple of days off where you can provide some quality time with, with people you care about, right? And so if right. we're going to spend a good chunk of our day and a good chunk of our time and energy at work, by gosh, we better be having fun. Okay, we better be having fun. We better be enjoying it. Now, the other thing I would also say is, the culture and the contextual situation you're in is a big deal. Okay, if you are on a an M and A, an acquisition and mergers deal with a multi-billion-dollar company, and you're sitting in the boardroom with the company that you're about to buy or that you're buying, either one, it may not be the best time to crack a joke and to become really funny and use humor because it's a pretty serious situation. There's a lot of money and jobs on the line. Right. However, when you're in the back office after you've just crushed your quarterly goals, you know, and, and you can sit back and just say, yeah, we, we're, we're going to go after some more stuff tomorrow, but today we're going to sit back and enjoy what we just accomplished. Like we, I think we need to create those moments in those spaces where we can get a little light and introduce levity. Maybe you can do it inter, you know, within the office. It, a lot of it's going to be driven by the culture and the way you work. And so I don't want to kind of paint a broad brush. It's not a very simple answer. And I can appreciate where some people would say, you know, hey, this is not the space to just crack a joke because there are those situations. You're not going to, um, in front of a prospect or um, a high-profile client that is a very serious type of client, you're not going to want to behave that way, but you're not right. going to be in that situation every working hour. And there should be out, there should be time where you're with your core team and you can celebrate some fast, you can release some tension and enjoy that. So that would be a kind of general response I would give. Find the right spaces yeah, yeah. where it, where it makes sense and where it works.
0: Yeah. For me, a lot of it boils down to emotional intelligence just being able to understand when it's appropriate, when it's not appropriate, and and how like what will be appropriate for different individuals, if that makes sense.
1: Yes, and then you have to. So a lot of it's tone, and I'm not talking tone of voice, but it's your tone as far as what you're bringing up and the way you're bringing it up. There are there are a number mm. of of issues that right now socially and you know economically we're all wrestling wrestling with as a society. And some of those may not be the right things to try to introduce humor and levity into right now. While others be perfectly appropriate. I mean, I mean, we're right around April Fool's, right? And so this is the, kind of the time of year where we, we play the pranks and we play the jokes and it's socially kind of anticipated and accepted more so than others.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think in the humor world, there's a phrase too soon it's really important to have the time for people to process what happened before you start cracking jokes about it. So this, this has been a really good conversation, Greg, I really appreciate you coming onto the show. If anyone is interested in learning a little bit more about 5C consulting or getting in contact with you, where should they go?
1: So we have a website and my email. So our website is 5 so F I V E and then letter C dot consulting. So five C dot consulting, and then my email is greg at five C dot consulting. And if any of your guests want to have a conversation or just check us out, they can use either of those.
0: Five C dot consulting dot com or anything like that.
1: Nope, nope no dot com. How did
0: you get that?
1: What? I looked, <laughs> I looked really hard, and it worked. So.
0: Cool. Very cool. I'll make sure that we have links to that in the show notes. Everyone, thank you for joining us today. And Greg, thank you as well.
1: Thanks for tuning in to the Lead with Levity podcast. To get resources mentioned in this episode and find out what we're all about, check us out at leadwithlevity.com.